welcome to the Corpora Podcast, where I sit down with leading professionals and thinkers to talk about all things startup law, technology, and the future of corporate legal. Corpora is your startup's legal dashboard. We help startups get legal done in a new way, and the premise is very simple giving founders the tools that they need to take care of the low-risk, low-stake, simple stuff themselves, such as sending out a boilerplate NDA or an offer letter, and helping attorneys by giving them the tools that they need to take care of the strategic, high-value, high-stakes tasks themselves more efficiently, such as negotiating and closing on price rounds. Our first tool is the Smart Legal Drive, which gives a platform to companies to keep their documents organized, accurate, and complete in one space, and also giving them a heads up in case something is missing, or giving them a heads up on red flags. My name is Stepan Khazretian. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Corpora, and I'm very pleased to introduce my guest for today, a longtime friend of mine, Aaron Beck, and I'd love to read Aaron's very impressive bio. Aaron Beck is Juana's mompreneur founder and CEO. Before Juana, she was a SpaceX Dragon mission director, designing and operating spacecraft bound for the International Space Station. Before that, an around-the-world backpacker, rescue scuba instructor, and award-winning, award-winning theater director. She believes skills are cumulative and transferable across disciplines. She believes being a parent tops them all, and she believes it is absolutely okay to have everything, even free babysitting. <laughs> Erin, so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Stefan. It is my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Erin, you're the OG founder. You've been through it all. You've been running WANA for over six years, and you've had a lot of exposure to startup legal. Mm-hmm. Startup law need not be a maze, but it is being treated like a maze with a lot of twists and turns and pit stops and pitfalls. It can be very confusing for founders. Now, in the early stages, when the startup doesn't have the necessary resources, financial resources to hire a competent counsel, what is your what are your thoughts on how the founder should think about this, how the founder should go about getting access to startup law insights? Are there resources out there that can be used? And if so, which are those? Ooh, that is a fantastic question and really a very heavy question to get us started. Um, I definitely found as a founder, I felt uh, fear about the necessary legal that was required. Um, and I felt that I did not have the finances or the knowledge to be able to bridge the gap to get beyond that fear, to really get what I needed for what I could afford. And with the vocabulary that I had, when you're just starting out, you almost don't know what you, you I can't say almost, you literally don't know what you don't know. And there are still things now that we're six years in that I'm still learning that there's so much that maybe I didn't know the whole time Mm -hmm. um, that I am still sort of catching up on. And my first venture into the legal side of having a company was just the entity formation. And I went to my first resource that I think most founders would go to, which was the internet. I did some searching on the step-by-step process that was available online on online resources for forming, in this case, it was going to be an LLC. And the steps seemed reasonably simple, but every resource I went to was just a little bit different. And every state was just a little bit different. And every resource that I found would end at the bottom saying, but don't mess this up. So you could do it, but really don't mess this up. So I went to seek counsel. 
Um, I did have a professional attorney create the entity for me. And I spent about $1,200 on that. Um, and for a short minute, I felt pretty good that it was it was done. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't very long after that that I met other founders and saw some of their formation documents and heard some of their formation stories and realized that what I had gotten, I could have done myself for maybe a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I maybe even could have done it better. And in a lot of ways, I felt that I'd been taken van- taken advantage mm-hmm. of. And I don't think the gentleman that I worked with had that in mind. I don't think he was intending to be predatory on my lack of knowledge. He was just getting a job done that he had been asked to do. But had I been able to feel more confident in the accuracy of the steps that I needed to take, if I could feel more confident in the the language that I was reading and writing, if I had had a little more vocabulary, it's something I could have easily done independently. And those financial resources and the research resources could have been allocated to something different, like my product or the market research, the customers that I needed to reach. Um, So it, um, it was kind of one of the first times that I hit that, Lack of knowledge is very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you go about getting that knowledge? And I think that's one of the really exciting things that's kind of on topic today is how do we improve how founders get that knowledge and make it so that you're not paying for stacks and stacks of encyclopedias of reading mm-hmm. on the internet. I want to emphasize that line that lack of knowledge is very expensive. And knowing you, you're very meticulous. And when you do research, you do it all the way. And the fact that you, I'm sure, put in a lot of time, a lot of effort, you did your research, and you still didn't feel entirely confident to do it yourself means that there is a serious lack of resources out there that would help and empower founders to do these stuff themselves, Mm -hmm. especially that you you paid an attorney and then you found out that you could have done it yourself with the right with the right guidance and that guidance was was missing now looking back for as an example you said that you could have done the formation yourself how long can it, a founder a non-lawyer go without hiring an attorney is there a, a specific step that you would say you know what at that point when you reach that step whether it's past incorporation or formation, it's hiring your first hire or doing your first sale or sending your first contract or uh, financing. At that step, you definitely have to have an attorney. Don't wing it anymore. Hire someone. Mm, That's an outstanding question. Negotiation. Mm. Um, At the point where you have two parties working together that need to come to a mutual understanding and a mutual agreement, at that point, I feel like you must have expert counsel um, because the terms of those negotiations are extremely important and you are stacking one team's knowledge against the other team's knowledge. You both want to come out in an even and balanced place. Um, And I think in many, many cases, it's going to require an expert on both sides to do that correctly. Up until the point of a negotiation where really what you are doing legally affects you as a business and only you. Um, 
or you're using documents that are reasonably boilerplate. I think you picked out some great ones like an NDA mm -hmm. and even a lot of basic consulting agreements. Um, those are things that are extremely repeatable, mm -hmm. uh, very common across industries, very common across companies. Um, whereas for a priced round or for uh, an acquisition, a major asset sale, those are negotiations where the terms are going to be very customized mm -hmm. at that point. Um, and at that point in a company, you've also reached a certain level of maturity as a company. Um, you are likely at that time bringing in some revenue. You have some resources available to to mm -hmm. actually achieve that counsel in a meaningful way. So it sounds like, and I've been thinking about this quite often over the past several years, when a client pays a lawyer or a law firm, what they're actually paying for, let's disintegrate the elements of what they are paying for, or what they should be paying for, or rather what they are paying for. Let's start with that. Um, there's the strategic high stakes stuff, the negotiations, the advising, the things that the attorney took the bar exam for and that the clients happily want to pay for, because as you mentioned that it's that element that attorneys are meant for, to be the equalizer, to help you get the best terms possible and to bring the, the parties together. But the fact of the matter is that a chunk of the legal bill that's picked up by clients doesn't go to only that advisory strategic work. There's also the low stakes work, things that are not very risky, the boilerplates that you mentioned, the repetitive ones, the, the consulting agreement, the things that can be taken care of by and are usually taken care of in a law firm setting by the paralegals. Um, and with the right guidance and with the right tools, the founder probably could also take care of those and do it in a very low risk setting and not mess things up. A third chunk is the, I like to call it the non-work, the work that can be automated, that you don't need a human to do it. You know, oftentimes you find the lawyer merging PDFs by hand uh, or conforming dates or checking off checklists, chasing signatures, things that can be automated. And of course, that's a fourth element. There's the uh, overhead as well. So if we can take care of disintegrating the legal bill and have clients pay the attorneys for that high stakes work, the one that you mentioned, the negotiating, the strategic advisory, and then automating what can be automated and giving founders the tools to take care of the repetitive stuff, I think we'll have a win there. That would be huge. <laughs> it would be it would be huge. And and I love the way that you break it into buckets of cost, buckets of of um of energy mm -hmm. that is going towards these. Um and being able to take the energy that goes into the low stakes things, the repetitive things, and instead pulling people out to do their best work at the high stakes game, doing the strategy, the things that really truly matter that have to be done by a human who is a master of the field. Uh, don't we all want to be spending more time doing that work? Absolutely. So I love the idea of pulling people out of 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 the doldrums of of managing the paperwork and really allowing them to use their skills mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, moving on there are attorneys sometimes do things that drive founders nuts right you know the attorneys they come in all shapes and sizes and attorneys are only human um, apparently <laughs> <laughs> we're only human uh, but you know oftentimes you have the attorney uh, Yes, they're meant to negotiate, but sometimes they might be highly academic in the negotiations, you know, drawing out on very inconsequential matters that are not going to matter in a couple of years or so. And it seems like they don't always trust the other party. By nature, that's what law is about. There's only a quantum of trust involved and everything else has to be documented. But things of that sort drive founders nuts. 
Are there any pet peeves that you'd like to share in, in working with lawyers? You mentioned one that, you know, they didn't have the intention to be, uh, to take advantage of you, but it's so it, it happened that way. Any other pet peeves that you'd like to share of attorneys driving founders nuts? If anyone on your founding team is going to be your friend, it had better be your lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> because the person who is going to be the one who is helping you fix your most critical, innocent, but critical mistakes will be your lawyer. Uh, the person who will define how you hire and fire which is one of the hardest parts of any founder's job is going to be your lawyer. Um, the, the person who will be telling you what in your business you can and cannot do is going to be your lawyer. Um, that's an exciting relationship. And I don't think a lot of founders necessarily think about that, but you're picking in a, in a lot of ways. I'm not, I'm not going to say co-founder in the sense of, the one burning the midnight oil with you for the 10th night in a row, not that co-founder. Um, but in many ways, your brain partner on what can and cannot happen. Um, and I do think it's very possible that a lot of people, and I, I was told this by an advisor um, early on, said, don't bring an attorney onto your team until you absolutely have to, because they will be the naysayer who comes in and tells you you can't do things. Um, I never had that experience, so I can't identify with that particular cautionary tale, but I can understand where that would come from. You've got to find someone that you can sit with and get creative, who's willing to be creative with you. Um, you're both willing to negotiate and give and take. You are... Um, somebody who is interested in seeing it from your perspective and you from theirs. When I'm thinking about choosing a, a great attorney for a startup, I'm, I'm thinking about finding that great creative partner. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's not the way that everybody thinks about it. Maybe I just got very lucky. But to me, you can't do it without that. You know, I think that is a very new way of thinking about the relationship. Previously, and in today as well a lot of founders think of that lawyer as a third-party vendor they provide legal services much mm -hmm. like my accountant much mm -hmm. like my bookkeeper you know they're, they're not intimately involved with my business but what you're saying Aaron, i'd like to emphasize this that your lawyer you should think of a lawyer in a in a professional setting as your friend mm -hmm. as a person who will walk side by side with you uh through thick and thin and, and help you avoid the mistakes or if you made the mistakes to to fix those mm -hmm. I think that's a very fresh approach. And it gets, and, and founders will all find this if they're in it long enough. It gets very thick and very thin mm -hmm. on the startup journey. So it's, that's something that from the outset, you got to make sure that you're prepared for and you've got somebody who's going to be there to be able to keep presence of mind and a lot of creative energies mm -hmm. going towards those problems, whether you're on your high side or your low side. You mentioned this advisor saying that attorneys tend to be naysayers. Um, what comes to mind is this line that I read somewhere, I, I don't recall where, and it stuck with me. It says, behind every great business deal is a corporate lawyer advising against it. 
lawyers have this thing of being very risk averse, you know, very avoiding and th thinking the worst that can happen. And in fact, that's what contracts is for. Or contracts are for generally. And I think it was Justice uh, Holmes that said constitutions are written for the bad person in mind, or laws rather are written for the bad person in mind. What can go wrong? And that's what you write the law. Same with contracts, right? Attorneys tend to have a priori that instinctively this risk aversion, which turns them into naysayers. So uh, it takes some effort to find and work with that attorney that doesn't think as a naysayer and there are those attorneys out there and it's it's it's, it's a growing trade i think it's a growing uh it's, it's a new approach that's spreading among lawyers as well that they should be business partners of the founder and not just legal partners oh that's a wonderful thing to be spreading and this segues us to a next question i had in mind which is what should and you kind of uh, touched upon this with your with your response but if we were sort of to summarize how should the founder go about picking an attorney what should they look for in an attorney do you look at their website um, do you have a call with them do you ask around for recommendations what are your tips in terms of finding that one lawyer to work with i do not have any great answers for this um I almost always work through a referral, no matter what it is that I'm looking for. Um, for founders, some of the absolute most important things that they need to be doing in their first year is making the business connections that will lead them to the other business connections that make their business float. Um, so getting out to the tech events and the pitch events and the incubators and the accelerators and finding those people so that you can start networking. That's how I do it. Mm -hmm. um, but it was trial and error before I was able to get to the right person. And I don't know how to do it better. And I, that is a scary world for a founder because every wrong attempt is expensive. It's expensive in your time and it's expensive in your wallet. And you may invest a lot of time, money, and effort into an individual before deciding it's not the best fit for you. I wish there was a better way to do that. And one way to solve that might be a giving founders more time mm. before they have to have the counsel. Kind of like what we talked about mm -hmm. at the beginning, when do you really need it? When you're negotiating those big deals. Are you negotiating big deals in your first few days, weeks, months, even years of your business? No, unlikely. And if you are moving that fast, you probably already have a network around you that's helping to point you in the right direction. Um, if you've joined something like an accelerator, mm -hmm. right? they've got their own connections to help you find that. But if you're running it your own, you're bootstrapping, you've got time. And the longer we can give founders where they can do it on their own before they need to hire counsel means that they will have more experience, more connections to be able to find the right person the first time. And then we have other tools for getting them to that place that are more automated, that are more boilerplate to help them get through the low risk period on their own. That's an excellent framework, an excellent way to think about it giving founders the ability to win time, to postpone that point of hiring an attorney, um, doing things themselves, low stakes things themselves. It need not be anything crazy, 
right? In the early stages, as, as you mentioned, you're not negotiating the biggest deals, nor should you, I think. You know, a lot of things that you, you, you want to do it as simple, as standard as possible until you get to that point when you do need an attorney. And to, to use a word that you've been using, you'll have the vocabulary in order to make that right decision. I think, I think for our viewers today, the, the current and budding startup founders, that's an excellent insight. Um, we're talking about tools for founders and for attorneys. That kind of sounds like technology to my ears. It does. Right? I like that. Yes. Yep. So let's talk about technology, right? Um, they're already, the legal text landscape is very saturated and it's becoming even more, it's blowing up with the advent of artificial intelligence. Um, what, how should founders and attorneys go about thinking about technology to your mind? Should, should we, as attorneys and founders, should we embrace it? Should we be suspicious of it? Is there a balance between tech and human? What comes to mind, in fact, a very simple analogy. When you call a customer support center, you know, you want to talk with a human, not with an automated voice message. Do we see ourselves relying on the automated voice message when it comes to legal tech, or do we still need that human touch? What are your thoughts about this? Great question. Human touch, negotiations, high stakes creative work, less human touch or none at all, low stakes, low risk, automatable work. Mm. I think that breaks down on the in big chunks in a pretty straightforward way. There's going to be some things in the middle that we're kind of futzing over and that take some time to transition. But um, we have basic tools available online for these things. You can do an internet search for all sorts of legal templates and pull up PDFs from mm -hmm. all over the country in all sorts of contexts. That is a technological solution to finding boilerplates for legal documents. Mm -hmm. um, is it great? Is it accurate? Does it require still quite a bit of vocabulary to even understand what it is that you're reading? It's, it's, it's not a good solution but it's still the early use of technology to do. And that's what a lot of founders do. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when you're in those early stages, that's what you're looking for. Um, I think that with the way that technology is advancing now, we can do that in a way that is smooth and reliable and transparent. And that's where the big opportunity is. We don't just have to get on an image search on mm -hmm. the internet and find other people's PDFs. Um, there is technology now that the right industrious, ambitious entrepreneurs can turn that into something that is easy to use and mm -hmm. is accurate. Um, that was a great opportunity there. What will be the, the missing link that technology should fill in? And what I have in mind here is, you brought the example of reading websites, and of course, every website was different, but let's say all, all of them said the same thing. These are the steps to follow. But at the end, there was this disclaimer that said, but make sure you don't mess this up, work with a lawyer, this is not legal advice. And that's not gonna change because there's this thing called the unauthorized practice of law, right? Unless, and we'll talk about this more in a bit, but unless AI replaces lawyers and engages in the practice of law, there's always gonna be that disclaimer. The question that I'm getting at is, do we see that as a roadblock for founders adopting technology? Would that be bothersome? And possibly as a solution, maybe we should have some kind of a hybrid mode. 
not really separating just the low stakes from the high stakes and telling founders or suggesting that founders take care of the low stakes stuff themselves without an attorney, but instead empowering them to take care of the low stakes stuff themselves with very high level guidance from the attorney. Not no guidance, but you know, very high level, just to make sure that you know, five minute check-in, 10 minute check-in will help them have that confidence, again, to use a word that you should have that confidence to take care of that task. What do you think about this approach? I love that approach. So many times you just need to ask one or two questions to the people who really know. And that's all that it can take for everything else to fall into place. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe you just need one person to read over a one-page document just to make sure that you didn't say something completely outlandish, that you just didn't know. Um, That can make all the difference in the world. And it's so low touch, but there's just that extra human element, not only to make sure that you are doing it correctly, but to give you the confidence Mm -hmm. um, that that you are doing right by the service that you are trying to put out into the world. Mm -hmm. Aaron, you were one of the participants of a very special project that I had years ago, Cafe Law, where I would invite people to my place, make coffee for them and ask them, uh, ask them to ask me their startup law questions. And thank you for being a supporter of that. And the tagline for that event comes to mind that a five minute check-in with a lawyer can save your startup. I think the way I put it was a cup of coffee can save your startup. It really just takes a quick check-in with that business partner, that right-hand person to, even if there are the tools out there, the boilerplates, the, 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 the low stakes, uh, repetitive work can be done by the founder, sure. But if you can, can have that very quick check-in with a competent attorney, that'll be a win for the attorney. That'll be a win for the for the founder. That was one of my favorite events, just such a, <laughs> such a creative way um, to share the knowledge in a way that was casual and accessible for everyone. And that that accessibility, I think, is so much of what we're talking about is how do we make this expensive education accessible to everyone who is brave enough to start this journey? And doing it over a cup of coffee was always a brilliant way to do it. But one of the other things that was special about those events is that it brought people together um, to listen in on some of those conversations as well, Mm -hmm. um, which helps to build the vocabulary, listening to other people work through their legal questions, how to ask those questions, how to receive the answers to those. Um, That in itself, I think, was also useful. Technology provides ways for us to continue to have communities like that. And maybe there are some opportunities there as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And since we were talking about the human touch and lawyers and all the the human experience of the practice of law, um, I want to ask a question that I ask all my guests, which is, will AI replace lawyers? And I want to add a follow-on, should AI replace lawyers? Your high-level thoughts on this. This is a hot topic right now. Um, Will AI replace lawyers completely? I don't think so. Um, I may be naive in saying that, but I do think that the human touch is still of great value. 
um, because not everything comes, not all of the solutions come entirely from what has come before. And I like to think that the human mind offers something special in how quickly it can adapt, how quickly it can be creative, how quickly it can come up with novel solutions that I think will still be very important. Um, and legal is not an emotionless endeavor. In fact, the legal conversations that I have had for my business have been some of the most emotional conversations because you are talking about what's possible and what's not. You're talking about value systems when, particularly when you're in a negotiation, um, which terms you keep and which ones you don't are not always based on practical things. They're not even necessarily based on logical things. Mm -hmm. Negotiation is an emotional, human, psychological act. And that requires, I think, a person in the loop. Aaron, thank you so much for sharing these amazing insights with our audience today. My guest was Aaron Beck, mompreneur, founder, and CEO of WANA. Aaron, thank you so much. Thanks, Stepan.